is the last Sunday of the month, and as we have went through these Sundays, we've done a different hymn on the last Sunday, and I felt like me and Ben went back and forth for two or three times whether we should do the song for tonight before the service or after the service, and as Ben started that song just then, right before, I thought, oh, we should have done it first. I don't know. And so, but now, this, this is the song that we're going to sing, is Live for Jesus. Uh, it'll be the one that'll be at the end. But uh, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, turn to number 594 in your book, and maybe the next next time then I'll have this straightened out for sure. Uh, no, no problem on that. Uh, but I debated that back and forth, back and forth uh, the, the whole time. But in... Uh, in your book on page 594, tonight we're going to be looking at each of the three verses of this song. It's probably one that most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with. But if you are not as familiar with it, the verses are pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy to both sing, but also pretty easy to understand uh, as well. Thank you, Kevin, for reading. I didn't tell you what the reading was until you stepped up there. I just want you to see here 13 verses and be overwhelmed. So I gave you... I gave you that. But our song in the songbook is number 594. And it's entitled, Live for Jesus. <clears throat> this song, as we've talked about with all of these, this is the rare song that we've talked about that doesn't really have something absolutely horrible that's went along with it. We've had songs that were written because people died in fires, because ships sank, almost everything. But this is one that's just sort of a positive forward step uh, within a song. It was written by a man named Ian Reader Lye. E-R Lye is probably what it says in your songbook. He was born in the huge town, I'm assuming it's huge, of Hall Patch, Indiana. I can't swear that that's a, that's a real big town or not. But I, it sounds like H-A-W, Hall Patch, Indiana, probably wasn't too big uh, when Mr. Lyle was born uh, right there. He was the son of a Methodist minister, and he became a school teacher while also preaching for the Manchester Methodist Church and other congregations during the Civil War. So you get a time frame here for 175 or some odd years ago. He eventually moves to the town of Kittenburg, Iowa in the 1890s and continued writing song lyrics for major gospel composers, including one that's in our book quite often, uh, a man named William Ogden. He wrote a lot of the songs along with uh, William Ogden uh, as well. A lot of died in 1915 at the age of 76. So it's a longer time ago. I, don't, I didn't write down the date of it, but if you look, does it have the date in the song book of when this song was written? Does it say? 1892. So it's been a little while ago uh, for us. I don't think anybody here was alive in 1892. So it's been a little while, but this is the song uh, that the message in 1892 would have worked just as well as it would work here today. As we said, it wasn't written out of some kind of heart-wrenching or awful tragedy but rather just simply as an invective or instructions for us going forward. So we're going to look at three things that comes from this song. And incidentally, it goes with three of the verses that are in this song as well. And if you look at verse one in the songbook, it should say something to the effect of live for Jesus. Oh, my brother, his disciple ever be. Render not to any other what alone the Lord's should be. And so our first task, our first thought here tonight is if we're going to live for Jesus is to be 
a disciple. And Jesus was faithful disciples. And disciples follow, right? We'll hear that word disciple. We use it in a religious sense, in a Christian sense, but you sometimes hear the word disciples can be talked about with almost anybody. And I'm kind of a follower of this person or that person. I might be a disciple of this person's <laughs> podcast, or I might be a disciple of this kind of lawnmowers or something like that. But the kind of thing that I follow that I'm interested in, man, well, Jesus wants those same kind of disciples here as well. In fact, we can read about this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, we read, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. This is right before Jesus starts preaching. Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' first real speaking. But Matthew chapter 4 here, he's finding disciples, or the word that we'll use as apostles sometimes, to describe the people that he wants with him. He sought out these people. We know them as Peter and Andrew and James and John. And we talked about this uh, before, but the, the question that he asked them is to follow him. And there was a big commitment that was required of them. In a sense, they're following somebody who they don't really know a whole lot about, who seems to be preaching and teaching something. They're, 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 they're at least talking to them about something that makes a lot of sense. But they're also giving up a job. They're giving up their job as a fisherman, which was paying the bills and keeping the family happy or whatever. And they're packing all of that up. And they're, <clears throat> excuse me, they're going to go and follow Jesus instead. Just a big commitment. Well, the same commitment exists even for us today. Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, we see the kind of commitment that's asked, but also the kind of commitment that's hard to follow. A certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That's the first verse. And so Jesus, you know, this guy says this, and this sounds like exactly what you would hope somebody would say. But the following verse, Jesus responds to the man, and he says, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now that's the response that Jesus gives to the guy who says, I would like to follow you. Why does Jesus say that? Well, Jesus is saying that it would seem like that the Son of God would have a little bit easier life. But he says that the foxes and the birds have somewhere to bed down at night, but not him. Will and I were talking about in class this morning about when Jesus, uh, when they bring the woman who was caught in adultery and they was wanting to stone her and all this. And I was telling Will, I said, Jesus didn't have, it said that the people all just sort of went away. They went home uh, when this happened. I said, well, where would Jesus go? What was home for Jesus. Well, for us, we can list an address. There's a number and a street and a town and a zip code. Where was Jesus' home? Well, there really wasn't one, right? This is point, point A to point B. But what Jesus is saying here in this verse of Matthew chapter 8 is he's saying this will be difficult. This will be complicated. We read a little bit further there in verse, uh, in verse 21. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That's a really difficult verse to hear as well, right? Because all of us who have had somebody close to us pass away, the absolute most important thing for us is to go take care of that, right? To have a funeral, to have uh, a memorial service, to have a burial, have something. 
And you might say, well, this is really harsh. Why would Jesus say that? But what's Jesus saying in these verses right here? He's not necessarily saying, let, your, let the dead corpses pile up. That's not what we're reading right here. What he's saying here is that the most important thing, we can't let anything rank ahead of following Jesus. Because this example here of letting the dead bury the dead, that's a pretty strong example. But we can come up with a lot of other excuses as well, right? Because it wasn't too long after that that the guy that said he wanted to follow Jesus said, eh, but I've got a whole lot of stuff, right? I've got a whole lot of things that I don't want to give up. The guy asked, Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, uh, he, he can't be a follower of Jesus. The point of this being is that it's an important commitment that has to be made. So if we give ourselves over to other things than Jesus, and that's not being a faithful, what's the word we use here, disciple. Matthew 22 and verse 21, he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. The point of that verse being is that there are things that come up that we have to do. You have to go to work in the morning. That's just part of it, right? You'll have to pay those taxes whenever that deal comes around here. If you've not already, you've probably already got the property tax, and you'll get the You'll, get, you'll have to pay the taxes for income here pretty soon as well. But all of those kinds of things, we have to take care of that. But we have to give to God those things that are God. And part of that is the discipleship that we follow. What are the things that are God? Well, first of all, we are God. And we have to give ourselves to God. First Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own for you were bought in Christ, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our responsibility, our first task to live for Jesus is to be a disciple. The second thing to live for Jesus is to establish our destiny. I have this, but I don't really love this right here. But look at the verse, or the song. This is number two, verse number two on page 594. Live for Jesus, wandering sinner. Under Satan serve no more. Of the promised prize a winner, thou mayst be when life is o'er. It's hard to read verses of songs. I feel like I want to sing them. It's almost impossible to read those right there. Destiny is the term that we got written right up here. And it's something that's bound to happen, right? You know, it was destined to happen. Uh, sometimes at the end of the season, I, I, I'm kind of a... Uh, a big sports fan, but you'll hear people talk about, right about when it's playoff time, you'll hear the announcers say they control their own destiny, meaning if they go out and win today, they'll make the playoffs, but if they lose, they won't. Well, that really kind of is the defeating of the actual term destiny for what it means, but we have to establish ours. We have to work to establish our future. In fact, if we want to use the term control our destiny like the football announcer uses. That's the reality for us as Christians as well. We sort of control what we're about to see. If we go out and do what we're supposed to do, as a coach might say, take care of business. If we go out as a Christian and behave as a Christian and live as a Christian, we then know what our destiny is going to be, right? But if we go out and don't do that, other things are going to sort of pull us down from it. So let's think about that establishing it. First of all, we have to be wary of roadblocks, right? We have to be wary of roadblocks. My guys in here that drive trucks, there's probably nothing worse than some kind of roadblock, right? When it pops up and says, there's a shorter way, or you, you should go this way because there's something going on right here. The other night, a couple weeks ago, mom called and she said, if you're thinking about coming to Stanford, don't. 
she said they're blocked they're blasting out here right right out here uh, where the line in the road and she said they're lined up everywhere and I thought well that's probably a pretty good idea she called Mary and Mary came away came home the back way as well but if there's a roadblock if there's something in our way that stops us from doing what we're supposed to do and if we're not wary of roadblocks if we're not paying attention all of a sudden we're sort of stuck there right and you know what it's like to be stuck in traffic you can't go you're just here here we are and this is blocking our path. First Peter 5 and verse 8 says to be sober, be vigilant, because our adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know all that. That's not a new verse to anybody right there, but that's a roadblock. Because if we take the wrong step, if we take the wrong turn, if we go the wrong way, we're going to be ate up. Well, that's not exactly the same when we're driving, but if it says it's going to take two hours to get there, and we get stuck behind a roadblock, Two hours becomes three, becomes four, becomes five, and we're limited in what we can do. We're missing out because of First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. We're told not to love the world or the things in the world, because if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So to be aware of what those roadblocks are. Now as the song says, of the promised prize a winner. Now we like the sound of that, right? In fact, this is not a verse that's new to us. I want you to turn right now to Philippians chapter 3 and look at verses 13 and 14. This is Paul writing about pressing toward a goal. Verse 13, Philippians 3, verse 13. Brethren, I did not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, forgetting all the things that have gone wrong in the past, all the things that have slowed me down, all those roadblocks, I'm going to move forward, press forward, reach for that prize. Let's go back to Josh and Kevin for just a second. When that roadblock is there and you're stopped in traffic, you can fuss and you can be mad and all that, but you don't just get out of the truck and quit. You still got to get the item from point A to point B. And it may not get there the way you thought it was going to get there. It may not get there as quick as it's going to get there, but we still have to do it. That roadblock can't just be a completely knocking us off the course. Go to the second verse there, the one at the bottom, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Starting in verse 24. <clears throat> this is Paul writing just as he had written in Philippians. And it seems like it's a very similar verse right here. First Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run away that you may obtain. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. <clears throat> if you've ever been in an old school building, or maybe you've been to like the antique shop, you may see old trophies that are in there, right? And then some school has won some basketball tournament in 1923 or something. Or maybe you found a trophy at the, at the antique store or something for something you've never even heard of the event or any of it. 
But what Paul says right there in verse 24, all run a race, but one receives the prize. But what they compete for is temperate. That prize, like that trophy right there, that trophy is long since passed. But what about the people that won the trophy? They may not have the trophy there in their house, but they're aware of the success that they had. For us as Christians, we need to think about it the same way. We're striving to earn the prize. Not necessarily a trophy, but what's the prize for us as Christians? Eternal home in heaven, right? That's our destiny. So if we're trying to establish the destiny, we're trying to set up where our end result, our end game, where we're going to end up is, that's what, excuse me, that's what we are striving for. Psalm verse number three. Follow him daily. We read there. Live for Jesus in life's morning. At the noontide hour be his. And at eve when day is turning. And inherit endless bliss. Think about the times that we have during the course of the day. And look at that verse. Live for Jesus in life's morning. So I don't know what you call morning. But there's about an eight hour period there, right? Sometime where it starts... Sometimes where it ends. I've been joking with Mary late a little bit. I think I'm getting older. I'm waking up earlier and earlier. Seems like even when I don't really want to wake up. Some of y'all may be able to relate. Some of you may not be to that right there. But if we think about life this morning, and then in the noontime hour be his. Well, after morning ends, then it's noontime, right? And it's sort of daytime. We're getting all this kind of stuff. And then at the end, before we know it, the day is gone. And at eve, when day is turning. And when day turns, we're going from, you know, it's Sunday, now it's Monday. And tomorrow we'll do the same thing. It'll be Monday and turn into Tuesday. That pretty much covers all the time on the clock, right? Think about the time, the, the 24 hours we have in a day. And so what we see here in this song, what E.R. Lotta wrote in 1892, was that if we're spending our time worried about and thinking about and doing what was asked of us, the morning, the noon, and the evening, we don't have a whole lot of time left, right? That takes up about all of our time. But at the end, it says, he wrote in the verse, it says, and inherit endless bliss, right? What's <clears throat> me to inherit something? To get something, right? Somebody gives something down to us. But not a you know, gold medal or anything like that, but inherit endless bliss. And so if bliss is something great and it's endless, then that's what the prize is, right? That's what we are following him daily Luke chapter 9 verse 23 we read it says then he said to them all if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross there's a word there right daily and follow me not take up the cross here and there and everywhere we struggle with that right we don't we kind of struggle we take up that cross you know a little bit of this or a little bit of that but it's not just a Sunday thing but Jesus said daily Acts chapter 5 Verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Hebrews 3 and 13 says, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. All three of those verses use the word daily in them at some point. And so everything that's done is done daily, not casually, not ever so often, but daily. And when we have no more days to live, like we said, endless bliss in heaven awaits. Well, where do we find that? Well, let's look at three more verses before we call it a night. Matthew 25, verse 34, we read, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The way that verse says is that there will be some people that are on this side 
that'll be able to inherit that endless bliss. But if it's clear that there's some people on this side that get it, what does that mean about those that are on the other side? There's no inheritance, right? And we know how inheritance works. We've seen families sword over inheritance. When somebody dies, they give something to one but not the other. But the reason why they give something to one or the other, that's a personal thing. That's a family thing. But Jesus is teaching God's way is that those who are prepared would be able to inherit that endless bliss. Romans chapter 9, verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. It's not just some ragtag thing, but what's inherited, what we will get, that endless bliss has already been prepared for us. Last verse, Romans 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. And so while the difficulties of now may seem troublesome, may be complicated, the glories, the benefits, the betterment is coming on the other side. So we look at the song, we look at verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3. How do we live for Jesus? Well, we have to become disciples. We have to establish our destiny. We have to follow him daily. But what does the chorus say? Live for Jesus, live for Jesus. And then what after that? It says, give him all thou hast to give. On the cross, the world's redeemer did what? How does it end? It says, gave his life that thou, change thou to you, change it to I, change it to me, change it to whatever you want, that thou mightst live. And so Jesus' death is our ticket to be able to live. So our song tonight, Live for Jesus, our invitation song, we've already went over it. You already know what it is. But we also know what's the requirements that we've seen uh, presented to us as well. And so I'd ask, I'd encourage, I'd say, whatever we can do, however we can do to help you, we'd certainly invite you to come while we stand and sing.